Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Welcome once again to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Uh, Bunker to France across the table from me here. And in Los Angeles, it is our good friend Todd Roberts. And it's beginning to cost a lot like Christmas. And Yeah, it is. Cost a lot. (laughs) Cost a lot, yeah. Beginning to look a lot like Christmas again. Thank you so much. We'll be here all week. Yes. Unless (laughs) unless the stage is late and then we're here forever. Um, Today's program, we have... Let's do our, our uh, housekeeping. housekeeping. Today's program is going to be about uh, Western artist Joe Mora and uh, Peter Hiller, who runs the Joe Mora Trust, will be our guest, and we'll get to him in just a moment. Yeah, he's director right and curator. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, I'd like to extend an invitation from the Empire Ranch for their Christmas at the Empire Ranch. It's a historic Western holiday spirit like no other on Saturday, December 11th. From 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., there'll be music. You get to meet Santa, and it's a cowboy Santa, not one of those, one of those hoity-toity Santa guys. Dime store Santa. You know, I mean, he might even have bib overalls on. Who knows? (laughs) He has Uh, in the past. (laughs) Yeah, they'll be make-and-take crafts, local vendors, a, a holiday raffle, cookies, and seasonal beverages. And the ladies have been baking cookies for the last week. (laughs) Don't doubt that. That place, I mean. You're up your eyeballs, stacks of cookies. Uh, there will also be a chuck wagon lunch available, and it's located off of Sonoida Highway 83. It's Arizona 83, and it's the Empire Ranch Foundation uh, for Sonoida, Arizona. I want to throw in, too, at the same time, on the same day, in Tubac, they're also having a cowboy Christmas. And I, as I understand, they're going to have a paint-off there, which is a great it's a great fun thing. You know, a bunch of artists, they have a time period, they throw a, they throw a bunch of paint on some cabinets, and then people bid on it. So that right. sounds like fun. One other thing, and this is just coming up, and for the those of you that have been following it, on 2020, they're having a special, two-hour special, ABC, on December 10th, on the Rust uh, situation over in New Mexico, the movie thing with Alec Baldwin. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about Western art for today's program. Our guest is Peter Hiller. Welcome to the uh, program, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, and thanks for having me. We appreciate this uh, to find out more about this guy named Joe Mora. Everyone's heard of uh, Charlie Russell and uh, Frederick Remington and such, and, uh, and I know a lot of people have heard of Joe Mora as well. But what is it about Joe Mora that uh, he became known as the Renaissance Man of the West? Oh, awesome. Well, I, that term, I think, came about because Joe is probably the most versatile uh, artist that I've come across. And when I say that, I mean he worked in just about every artistic media you can think of, including as a writer, and he did it all well. However, his reputation, as you mentioned, is not as widespread as Charlie Russell's and Frederick Remington's. And I have spent better part of 25 years, the last 25 years, trying to change that. Because mm-hmm. I think he's uh, equally interesting as the other Western artists that we more commonly think of. He's kind of the Leonardo da Vinci of the West. Okay. When you think of your accomplishments. I came across him back in the early 50s when I was a kid. Uh, thanks to Levi's and the the carte that uh, Levi used for promotion, mm-hmm. and I was always interested in him. And until we did the show, I didn't realize I, he does everything, everything. <laughs> yeah. His uh, lifespan was from 1876 to 1947. Born in Uruguay in uh, South America, and then uh, came to the United States at an early age, and. Uh, so, how, how did uh, Peter? How did you get involved uh, with with this uh, with the trust? Did you organize this? Well, um, my story, as far as Joe's concerned, goes back to when my wife and I first moved to the Monterey Peninsula in California, and I came here employed with a new job as an art teacher. 
at a local elementary and middle school. And over the course of that first couple of years, I discovered Joe's two pieces that are probably what he's most well known for, his um, posters of the Native Americans of the United States, and then also the evolution of the cowboy, or yeah. also known as Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And I just found the copies of those in a drawer where I worked mm. and was interested in them. Uh, as an art teacher, I looked at them and I was pretty impressed with not only the quality, but the high sense of graphic design, uh, his interest in history, his ability to put, you know, probably, you know, a dozen different stories in each of these posters, but to do it in a visual manner. And then slowly but surely, as a result of living here, uh, because this is the same community that Joe spent the last third of his life in, mm-hmm. I began to see more and more of his work. And the more I saw it, the more I, amazed I was at the fact that this same person was doing all of these different um, things. He was working as a sculptor. He was uh, working, he wrote books. He did um, illustrations for menus. Uh, the list goes on and on of what he was doing, and I was just amazed that all of this was being done by the same person. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to a point where I said, okay, I really want to see this seriously, instead of just kind of stumbling upon things. And so I approached our local art museum and asked them if they were interested in doing an exhibit of his work, and they said yes, and very quickly. And then I spent the next two years, in addition to my teaching, uh, working as a curator to bring that exhibit together. And that happened in the summer of 1998 at the Monterey Museum of Art. And to my surprise and delight, it broke attendance records over the course of that summer and was to this day the largest collection of Joe's work that had ever been assembled in one place. So he's, he's not that forgotten then. <laughs> well, you know, I want to run over something here because you, you, you touched on it, but just to fully illustrate it, illustrator, painter, writer, cartographer, sculptor, architectural adornment, dioramas, a cartoonist, uh, explored the California missions, Yosemite, California ranch. He wrote, he rode across, he didn't take the bus or the train, he rode horseback across Arizona, New Mexico, and spent a couple of years in Mexico horsebacking and cowboying down there. Uh, and he commanded an army, he was a major in the uh, First World War, uh, commanded an army artillery battalion, hunted mountain lions. I mean, this guy did everything. And if you look at him, look at his pictures, he just looks like an everyday old Joe. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. What, what? yeah, that's right. And the only thing you, um, to add to that list is that he was a, a father of two kids yeah. and a wonderful father and also a wonderful husband. Yeah, and I, I had the pleasure of knowing his son, Joe Jr., over a period of years, and uh, he would, whenever I would ask Joey about his dad, which was every time we got together, uh, <laughs> his, his, his face lit up and there was always a twinkle in his eye and he had just wonderful stories to tell. And uh, it, it, he's just an amazing person and, you know, by all accounts. Does Rum Dockeries ring a bell with you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yep. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is if you look at his dad, his dad was a world-class sculptor. Okay. His brother, Lewis, was a master portraitist. Uh, some people call him the first Hispanic master in America. Okay. You know, it's just the whole family. It's just, and there's a great picture in your book of the family with the father, the uncle, uh, Joe, Lewis, and the mom. Uh, and it's, you know, it's... The, the, the pictures in the book are fabulous. Well, the the, the colors that I'm looking at in, in, in uh, on the the Joe Mora Trust website, uh, there's some art that's listed there, and these colors are very um, they're like indicative to uh, Day of the Dead art, and I cannot think of the, who the artist is who who does those. 
uh, and does them quite well. But uh, the, all the colors, they're very bright colors. Is it Spanish? Is it, Spanish? The, yeah, I yeah. guess that, that that's the influence there, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, in, in, I, I, I came to them through the Cartes and also from the Little the little animal cartoon uh, illustrations you get for kid books, uh-huh. and I didn't realize it was the same guy, and didn't know it was. But because his little animal cartoons are some of the best you'll ever see. It's I mean he's, he was a master of cartooning as well. Yeah, the introduction picture on the uh, JoeMoraTrust.com website is him painting a uh, uh, looks like a big mural of of uh, animals, cartoonish. But nonetheless, very realistic. Though. Yeah, and animals bowling. Tell us about the bowling animals. Well, that was the uh, illustration that was appeared in the Boston Herald newspaper uh, back, and that was Joe's first paid job. So he was about twenty years old when he signed on to work on the Herald, and it was the days before photographs appeared in. Right. in newspapers. Right. So the editor would send an illustrator out to the story and you know whoever that would be and in our case it was Joe Mora and he would illustrate whatever the news event happened to be in pen and ink and then that would become the illustration in the in the newspaper and um, the piece you refer to I think was something that he did uh, for a story about um, well, it was it was an actual bowling league, and for some reason, I think that different teams perhaps uh, each had were named after an animal, mm. and was an illustration about a banquet that they had, uh, where they all got together, maybe perhaps at the end of the bowling season, and you know celebrated their successes and and failures, and so that and that was a very lighthearted illustration. He also did serious ones as well, you know, just depending on what the news story happened to be. Well, you know, I, I, the one of the things that impressed me too is the Hotel Del Monte menus with again with all of the animals, yeah. you know, and they're like they're wearing suits and ties, know, know. It's, smoking it's, cigars, and, you know, just looks, animals having fun. Yeah, <laughs> it looks great. Well, it, I can't make any exact comparisons, but I pretty much think Joe Mora predated Walt Disney when it came to oh, yeah. personifying animals and giving them human characteristics. And, um, and and that's not to say that Joe was the first person to do that, because I know there were other illustrators oh, yeah. and, and writers who did it before him. But, uh, you know, Joe and, and Walt were in the same state, and, you know, who knows, could have been influenced by one another. Well, you know, it's so funny, too, because... Uh, Looking at his animals reminds me so much of Pogo. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, you know that uh, he had to influence Walt Kelly. Well, there's another piece on the uh, website here. It's a record cover, LP cover, album cover. Oh, yeah. For, the, for the birds, yeah. uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Sweetheart of the Rodeo. I used yeah. to have that LP. <laughs> I never that, realized that That was that's just who the center was. of the cartel. Yeah, the, yeah. The borders yeah. of... That's what's amazing. You yeah. look at these borders with the, with I mean this fine Detail. artwork, and you he'll, he'll he'll give you the whole history of the saddle, the whole history of, of uh, cowboys in his little drawings, and it just you know as a kid, you know being you know being out in the country ranching and all that stuff, I mean this stuff was like it was like a, a textbook almost because it was so accurate. So Peter, your background is uh, as an art teacher, is that correct? And uh, so, would you, I mean, how, how would you teach Joe Mora, or can you teach Joe Mora? Well, it takes a while, but, um, but I'd have, actually. Once I started uh, curating the museum exhibit, uh, I took my students along for the ride, and also my co-faculty members, and we were in a school that would get together in the morning, the whole school would get together. Um, for prayers and um, announcements and, th- and you know different kinds of events for a few minutes each morning, and over the period of those two years, occasionally I would um, do a presentation about what the world of a curator was like and what I had to do to organize this exhibit. 
and so consequently, uh, and then I would go to get into a little more depth with uh, some of my classes about specifically about Joe Mora, and we actually, one of my grades actually kind of wrote a, you know, a sort of a children's version of a biography about Joe, and what we had to do is kind of divide him up <laughs> into about 12 different parts, hmm. <laughs> um, and each part, each part was based on one component of his art world, and um, so one group of kids did him as a writer, another did him as a, you wrote about him as a sculptor, another wrote about him uh, as an illustrator, um, so, you know, you, it, it, took, uh, it took a whole class of, you know, 25 kids to cover Joe's um, multiple abilities. Can you give us a 30-second uh, condensation of your presentation, 25 hours in a day? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, um, that thought occurred to me at some point when I just realized who is so able to accomplish as much as he has accomplished in in a day, and I realized now that it had to be a 25-hour day for him <laughs> to do everything he did. Wow. And, um, oh, he was, uh, he, and, you know, I, I think the, the truth of, of all of that is that he's, he's one of the rare artists who made his entire living based on his artwork. And he during was able depression. to keep the family, keep food on the table, mm -hmm. even during the Depression, mm. keep clothes on everybody's backs. And he never had any other sources of income other than from his artwork. And you know that's a pretty rare situation. It's not easy to make a living in the arts. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting thing I came across in your in your book there that he designed a U.S. half dollar celebrating California's diamond anniversary. That's another facet, you know, to design a coin design. Sure. Yeah. Well, not to mention all his commissions. Oh yeah. Uh, the Golden West Building in San Francisco, the Bohemian Club. Uh, and so many others. It, it, it's his work truly goes on and on. I have to ask you, Mr. Hiller, uh, do you believe that his, or how? Uh, I have to believe that his experience as a horseman influenced, or added to the quality of the depth of the detail to his horses and his riders and his saddles and his illustrations. Yeah, one hundred percent. And. You know, it it should be pointed out that this was not book learning on his part. Um, he is totally one of his descriptors should be cowboy. Uh, he he rode every saddle. You know, at some point that he illustrated, he he knew horsemanship upside down and backwards, and so it, it was not uh, book learning on his part. It was the actual experience of doing it. Uh, you know, you just picture him riding from Flagstaff, Arizona, up to the Hopi Reservation on horseback, and mm -hmm. and or riding from San Diego up to San Juan Batista, following the California Mission Trail, the mm -hmm. El Camino Real, on horseback. Map. That's a great and, uh, map. By himself. Yeah. You know? Wow. And so he he knew he knew the gear. He knew um, he knew the history. Uh, inside and out, and it's really, it, it does definitely show in his work, and he loved history, he loved California history, he loved the history of the West. Well, you know, it's an interesting oh, thing, oh, too, when you look... You before you do that, we got to do our first break. commercial break okay. before we getting yeah. too engrossed earn, in our, earn, earn our topic. Yeah, we have to show. pay some bills, as it were. Yeah. Our guest is Peter Hiller, and uh, he runs the Joe Mora Trust, and you can find out more at joemoratrust.com. Joe Mora is an artist, and uh, we're going to be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very important messages. Do stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Happy Hanukkah from the Voices of the West. Hey, this is Robert Fuller, uh, Jess Harper from Laramie, and we're listening to the Voices of the West. This is the Voices of the West. Head me down on the prairie where my pals never change. Make my home in that carefree country. We're back on Emo Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to Friends, Todd Roberts. Our guest is uh, Peter Hiller. He runs the Joe Mora Trust. And if you're wondering who in the world is Joe Mora, Joe Mora is or was an artist, a sculptorist, uh, illustrator, a writer. And we're going to talk about a bunch of those other... Uh, a to Z. Yeah, A to Z thingies yeah. there of Mr. Mora. Uh, here with uh, Peter Hiller. Let's Peter. Let's talk about the sculpting that uh, the sculpts, sculpts, the sculpts, <laughs> the sculptures <laughs> that uh, Joe Mora did. Well, it, it, as you mentioned, his father was a sculptor, and I think that's where that love of sculpting uh, first takes place for Joe. He did go through several art schools while he was growing up on the East Coast. But what's better than having a father who does what you grow to love as well? And mm-hmm. Domingo was a classical sculptor. Uh, throughout his career, he followed work, and, and that, that involved living in Uruguay for a while, and then there was some political unrest, and uh, the family decided it wasn't safe to stay there, so they moved back to Spain very briefly and then came to the east coast of the United States and that's where Domingo would he would follow work and the family moved around a little bit from the New Jersey area up into New York and through Boston but and it was always following work on the part of Domingo and Joe often would you know sit at his dad's side and learn the techniques of sculpting and and we're talking about some pretty impressive pieces these are um paramount uh, paramount projects that were on the facade of office buildings in downtown areas and many of them still exist to this day and so that um what domingo died kind of suddenly in early uh, earlier than one would expect and it was at that point that joe realized you know, he really treasured his dad's sculpting tools and 
and what he had learned from his dad and that that was something he wanted to pursue. And it's not to say that he didn't do other things after that because he still did. He he would do anything that came his way as far as the commission. And if he didn't know how to do it, he would teach himself right away how to do it. Um, but the sculpting, I think, if you were to ask Joe, you know, to you pick one medium, I think it would have been sculpting. And I, I attribute that a lot to the influence that he had, that his father had on him and his love for his father. Um, you know, and, and again, you can, there's, on the Joe Mora Trust website, there's a list of uh, Joe's work in public places right. all across the country, and most of that involves sculpting of one kind or another. And um, It's kind of if you... If you are attracted to him as an artist and find him interesting, it's pretty easy to track his work down now, um, wherever it exists. Would you say that the cenotaph that he did uh, celebrating Father Sarah at the Mission San Carlos Barrimo, that that was his masterpiece in sculpting? Because I, I was looking at that thing and, and you know, the, the coffin, the, the, the uh, bronze of, of Father Sarah, the uh, the of the other priest that was his, that succeeded him, the two priests that uh, that followed him. You know, it just it's it is one of the most beautiful work pieces of work I've ever seen. Well, I I don't disagree with you, and it is it is a beautiful piece, and I think it's one it is a piece that Joe was so proud of that he in a letter. Uh, he declared it to be the piece that, that he considered his supreme sculptural or artistic accomplishment. And interestingly, that was in about 1920. Well, he went on to live another 27 years and, and did a lot more work after that. But um, it, certainly at the time, it was the piece he was most proud of, and deservedly so. It, it's, it's a magnificent piece, and... There's multi-layers to it. Um, certainly the main component is Father Sarah and the other priests that you know were, um, were around with him. But if you look carefully at it, there's all kinds of other details of um, the history of California and different um, bronze pieces that are part of the whole overall sculpture that uh, indicate different historical events. Uh, that preceded Father Sarah and followed Father Sarah. So it's really, I actually um, wrote a booklet about it because it's so complex uh, that, you know, it, each aspect of it deserves a storytelling. And, uh, and so it's, it, it really, it certainly, I wouldn't argue with anybody that said that it was, you know, the most impressive single piece that he did. And you know, the thing too is like the the uh, cenotaph, the coffin, is, which is an empty coffin, but he hand carved that out of marble. Hmm. And on the sides there's a couple of a big discs of Pius, I think it's the 11th. Uh, I mean, and, and the detail, like you said, the, the history of California, wow. he just, it's, it's amazing. His, his eye for detail is it's you know it's unsurpassed. Really. Conce conceivably, he may never have finished a work <laughs> or a piece because oh, we got to put some more detail in there. Yeah. <laughs> His maps are absolutely one more, incredible. One more, one more animal. Yeah. Go ahead, Todd. So, so uh, Mr. Hiller, you know his time uh, with the Hopi and the Navajo near near um, and he was so fortunate to go to the Snake Dance which is something that usually only Indians illustrate in paintings. It's non-Indians often, you don't see many from non-Indians. How, how much work is there from that time with the Navajo and the Hopi? Well, I, I am looking forward to answering that, but before I do, I have to say that the three of you are probably the most prepared interviewers I have ever worked with and so well, thank you <laughs> I my thanks go out to you guys you did your homework and 
Um, I really appreciate that. Well, you. You, you could, the three of you could be doing this interview without me. So, um. <laughs> no, we couldn't. No, we no, couldn't. no, no. Well, no. It, it, <laughs> only if there was enough liquor involved. Exactly. We would just be doing the interview of, supposedly of our own ourselves ourselves and our imaginary friends. Right. No, we would need somebody to keep us honest. So yeah. Well, liquor's cheap, and uh, you know it can be anyway. So, so, so I, I just want you to know I appreciate well, it. Thank and, you so much. Um, well, I want to thank you because this this uh, I, I do tons of research, and and this has been one of the I I couldn't stop. I spent four hours at the library uh, one day here just working on this stuff, and I, I got enough notes here to do you know probably probably do a mini series five shows. <laughs> <laughs> Let's attribute that to Joe. Oh, that's yeah. how interesting he was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I've been telling yeah. people all week about him. You know. So uh, what, what? What were you going to say about the Hopi and the Navajo time? Well, Hopi and, the Hopi and Navajo chapter of his life is the one that is the dearest to my heart. And I, you know, as I got to know Joe's work, I I eventually came upon a series of prints that had been made based on some watercolors Joe did while he lived at Hopi. Of Hopi, what used to be called Kachina figures, now they're referred to as Katsina figures. But these are ceremonial um, dress people who participate in various uh, Hopi ceremonies. And Joe, Joe eventually left the East Coast because he wanted to see the Hopi snake dance. And this was in about, well, right at the turn of the century, 1900, a couple years plus. And he had the sense that their culture could be affected by the westward population movements and that, you know, their whole culture could be compromised just by being overwhelmed by, by immigrants. And he wanted to see it before that happened. So he went to California, he took the train across the country, and got to California, spent some time on the Donahue Ranch, which is down in the San Ynez Valley. Uh, he had friends, family friends up in the San Jose area of California, uh, including a young woman that would eventually become his wife. And he, he, he realized that he had missed the snake dance, which doesn't follow our calendar. It's more of a, a seasonal event on the part of the Hopi. So he had about a year to spend in California waiting to, for it to take place again. It's during that time that he wrote the, the El Camino Real. He spent some time up in the Sierras considering whether he wanted to make a fortune as a gold miner. <laughs> he decided no. Uh, and then he ended up, um, again, learning a tremendous amount about um, ranching and, and horsemanship. And then finally, time came to head to Arizona and he had a friend with him who he knew grew up with on the East Coast, and they got a Studebaker wagon, had two, bought two mules named uh, Tom and Jerry, <laughs> and they traveled, uh, traveled across the Central Valley of California up to Yosemite, spent about two weeks in Yosemite, and this was right around the 4th of July, uh, got totally engrossed in the community up there, and then rode on through the Mojave Desert. Uh, and again, picture in a Studebaker wagon, if any of you have driven Highway 40 from mm -hmm. Barstow out to Beatles, um, you mm -hmm. can, it, it's yes, largely sir. unchanged from yeah. the days Joe rode a, rode a wagon through wow. there. And wow. Wow. <laughs> so was yeah. there, is, is there a specific, where do you find those Hopi and Navajo prints? Where would you find them? Well, there's something available on the aftermarket at this point, and, but they do show up on eBay. Um, that would okay. be my suggestion, is just to watch eBay under Joe Mora. And sometimes they come up, you know, one print at a time. Other times you can get all eight that are um, a set. You know, they're numbered. They were signed and numbered. Not signed by Joe, but they were, they were numbered by the gentleman who put that together and um, so sometimes you can get all eight together. You know, I came across some photos 
of the Cochina dancers that I, I believe were shot by him. I'm not positive about that. But one of the interesting things, when you think about it, he lived with him up there for two years. The snake dance is done every other year, and a corn dance is done the year, you know, the, the off year. Yeah. But they're all rain dance. But uh, these photographs, I saw these photographs, and they were, you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with the with the paintings of the Kachinas, but those photographs are some of the most amazing photographs because you can see how there, there's an intimacy there mm -hmm. that you know that that's you don't you don't capture unless it is there. Mm -hmm. We got to do our next commercial break here, fellas. Hang on the line, Peter uh, Hiller, and we'll be right back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very important messages. Peter Hiller's our guest. Joe Mora is the topic. We'll be back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, for First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Ole Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchmen to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent hench to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Rent a hench, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Happy Hanukkah from the Voices of the West. Sir Manolito's in jail in Nogales. I had heard he was wanted there for several charges. My son does not do things in half measures. 
Sebastian, they're going to execute him. They have a firing wall set up. <sighs> I suppose I always knew he would end up like that. This is the Voices of the West. on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, and our guest is Peter Hiller. We're talking about uh, artist uh, Joe Mora. Fuego! (laughs) Not only was he an artist, he was also a writer, an illustrator, sculptor, jack of all trades, and master of probably all of them. Uh, One of the things that he did was uh, he was an author and uh, wrote and illustrated uh, children's books as among other um, genres, but there's one here that is quite interesting. Budgie, budgie, cottontail. Oh, so, you want to talk about that one, Peter? Well, that was that's kind of, kind of a wonderful backstory. And um, yes, Joe wrote and illustrated the story. It's about a little bunny rabbit who goes off into the quote wide, wide world unquote, and. It ends up, it meets, you know, several different characters along the way, and it ends up being a Christmas story at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so go figure. But um, Joe wrote that book while he was traveling around the world on a steamship with his family. And Joe was a very gifted at bartering his artistic abilities for uh, exchange for, say, passage on the boat for like the families. Like a Charlie, um, like a Charlie Russell, he, he'd do that too, right? Well, I, I think so, yeah. and that worked out great for the family. Pay his bar bill. And <laughs> there's a wonderful picture of Joe sitting on deck of the boat at a typewriter as he's typing out the text of this story. Nice. And so he, he writes the story, he then illustrates it, and the illustrations are spectacular. Uh, very modest in size, but they're just wonderful in their joy to vive. And when it was finished, they got back home, and son Joey went out to find a publisher to publish the book. Well, Joey was very diligent in his efforts, and he went back east. Again, the family was in California. He went to just about every publishing house you can think of, from Chicago to New York, looking for someone that would publish it, and they all turned him down. Wow. And I have a file of rejection letters in the family (laughs) archive Hmm. that is one of my favorite files because it's so interesting to see their take on the book and it was everything from we love the illustrations but the prose is um, too complicated or we'll publish it if you pay for it (laughs) or you know just one thing after another and Joey couldn't get it published and um, so it kind of broke their hearts well then we fast forward a ways and they, I should say, too, that they made this incredible presentation binder of the whole book, which was on one page was the text, and on the next were the original watercolors. And it's about four inches thick. Um, it was uh, the binding uh, was like a denim material. I mean, it's this wonderful book that Joe would have taken with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... It, so unfortunately, Joe Sr. passes away. The book still hasn't been published. And then we roll around to the early 1990s, and a gentleman who you probably know of, um, if you haven't already, if you haven't interviewed him, uh, by the name of David Stockline, uh, who was a Western photographer par excellence, lived up in Idaho, um, would. You know, his photographs were used in galleries and turned into calendars and books, and uh, he was an amazing Western photographer. Well, he he came to the idea of republishing Joe's other two books, uh, Trail Dust and Saddle Leather and Californios. And these were published originally in the 40s. Uh, they were out of print by the 90s. And David thought, well, you know, they are, they're good enough, they're still valid, they're still interesting, they're still accurate, let's republish them. So David went to Joe Jr. and proposed that. Well, 
quick as the whip, Joe Jr. says, well, um, I'll work with you to republish those books if you publish Budgie Budgie Cottontail. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, that's the kind of businessman that Joe Jr. was. He was sharp as a whip. Yeah. And David said, absolutely yes. He said he didn't think twice about it, and he said, yes, I will do that. He was thrilled to do it, and consequently, that's how it did finally see the um, light of day, and um, I have to say now, it's um, a few years ago, I bought for the archive the rest of the inventory, the back inventory of the book, and I literally am down to about six copies now, so it's very very soon to be only available on the aftermarket and um, and but it is you know there's almost always a couple of copies for sale on eBay on sure. Joe Mora uh, under Joe Mora and yeah. stuff but it's really it, it's just it's a fun book it, I will in the other aspect that's pretty interesting is you know when the book met with resistance from these publishers Joe took it upon himself to rewrite the text twice, once for a younger audience and once for an older audience, thinking that that might help sell the book. So here's a person who doesn't just sit there and say, you know, pout and say, you know, well, you know, you know, and resent the fact that it was getting rejected, but he took the time and the effort um, to revise it twice and, and, and be able to present three versions of the book. Um, in the hopes that it would be published. And uh, Dave ended up publishing the original text, so that's what um, the public gets to see in the book. And it's a beautiful book. Uh, you know, you and, pro- oh, I'm sorry, you'll probably love this, because when I was looking, seeing if I could find any books by him, here in Tucson, in the Tucson Library System, they have one book by Joe Morrow. It's no. one, <laughs> one Minute Till Bedtime. <laughs> Well, that's um, that's too bad because Arizona, as we were um, talking about before, was very important in Joe's life, particularly the years he lived with the Hopi and the Navajo. And um, yeah, so he, I would say second to California, um, Arizona is you know was a heartfelt location for Joe. Well, you can see his passion. He learned the Navajo language. He learned mm-hmm. the Hopi language, mm-hmm. and had their total trust, you know. I'm, I'm curious, Peter, are there any numbers on how well the uh, the book about the uh, the cottontail did when it went? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, it, it, let's, we could consider it sold out now, and I forget if they did, initially, if they did maybe a thousand copies. Um, I would have to check to see if I have that anywhere in my notes, mm-hmm. but it was only printed once, mm-hmm. and you know. So now we're, um, you know, we're really at the end of that that inventory. Interesting. All right, we got to do our final commercial break. Peter Hiller's our guest here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We're talking about artist Joe Mora, and we're going to find out more about that and uh, what all things Peter does after this. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Hanukkah from the Voices of the West. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Now Dan was born at an early age in good old New York town. He learned to ride the wildest bronco of them all on the merry-go-round. Six-gun Dan was an old cow hand, the wild and rough galoot. His finger was quicker than your eye could flicker when he started in to shoot. We're back on Amo Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bugger to France, Todd Roberts, our guest Peter Hiller. And uh, we're talking about uh, Western artist and sculptor uh, Joe Amora. And Peter's can flicker quicker than you can pull your trigger. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, Peter, you've uh, got a book out. I think we've completely neglected to mention yes. that. Life and times at the top of the top of the program, the life and times of Joe Mora, iconic artist of the American West, available at Amazon as well as other fine book places. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, what's yeah. Oh, go ahead. Thank you for the Talk pinch. about the book. Yeah, tell us about the book. <laughs> well, the book was um, was uh, kind of something I had to do, and. Um, I, I've been sort of obsessed with Joe Mora and been a Joe Mora nerd for a little, for around 25 years. And most of that time I was teaching and um, acquiring, you know, knowledge as I could along the way. But I finally retired. And my retirement gift from my wife was a copy of a book called How to Write a Biography. <laughs> <laughs> the wise woman. Oh, that's funny. So I, I didn't have much choice at that point. No. And, um, but it was something I, I knew someday I would want to do and uh, finally had the time to do it and uh, was very... Um, lucky in terms of the fact that it ended up being published and and then actually published a second time uh, in a trade version, which I'm sure is the copy you're referring to. And the, the initial publication was done by the Book Club of California, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful uh, organization of book collectors and uh, book dealers, uh, you know, people who appreciate the old um, processes of letterpress printing and uh, it's something that you know really rang true to my heart printers ink is it ranks with my top two or three favorite smells in the world <laughs> yeah, right. um, and so there we were and um, they 
I had a nice track record with them. They had published something else that I wrote, and um, so they went ahead and did this beautiful, beautiful limited edition uh, print of this of the book, a very small publication edition. And part of the agreement was that at some point, if it sold well, that I then could pursue a trade version. Um, so it went from very expensive in the limited edition to very reasonably priced in the current edition as mm -hmm. the trade version. And, and I, there's, I should also say that along the way, I had um, met an editor, Katie Kilbrew, who was at Gibbs Smith at the time, and she kind of, our paths paralleled each other. She had approached me about doing a book, and it didn't work out the first time, but then, you know, finally came around, and, and that's the edition I'm sure that you have there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was just, you know, it was a wonderful opportunity to, you know, put a lot of information about Joe into one place. And, and my goal was to try to use Joe's words as much as, as I could. He was a fantastic journal keeper and also a letter writer. And so in, I would say a full third, if not more, of the book is his own words. And that was important to me because I felt like who better to tell his story than, than Joe himself. And so I, I was fortunate to be in a position where I had access to that material. And it was you know, one of my goals was to use that as much as I could. And I hope I've succeeded with that. Well, one of, one of the most, for me, one of the most delightful portions is that a little section from his diary, a condensation of one year. And you get oh, to know yeah. him so well in that, you know, and it's just like, you know, just little smidgens of, of information. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you, you know, this space, everybody covers a whole year, and, and it just, it's great. Yeah. I, Peter, what, for the person who may not have any idea who Joe Mora was, and uh, your your book obviously is going to explain that, but what what is the biggest takeaway from uh, the life and times of Joe Mora? I would say it is meeting a person who I can pretty much promise you will find something that you love about. Mm -hmm. And I, over these 25 years, I have, and I'm not exaggerating here, I do not think I have ever run into a person who had a discouraging word to say about Joe Mora. And all it takes is, is discovering him and some part of his career seems to resonate with most everybody, at least one part will, and in most cases, you know, a number of parts too. And um, we were talking about his maps, and if you see his maps, there you can't help stopping in your tracks. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, the and then you yeah. go back and, and right. several times to keep looking because there's so much there. And um, there's just... There's something about him that in, kind of engenders the best in people, and, you know, people just get excited about him. And it's really, um, it, you know, so how could I, as, as anybody that was lucky enough to have, be in the position I am, you, you can't deny people that. I mean, it's all good. It's all, it's all joyful, and, um, and, and it's a positive um, view of humanity and uh, it's just, you know, he's a wonderful guy. <laughs> so, Mr. Mora, did you discuss it all with Ian Tyson, his his song in Old California? I've which got is that right dedicated here. <laughs> to, uh, dedicated to uh, Joe Mora or did that not happen? Well, um, I came, that, that song came about through Mike Beck. And you may have talked to Mike Beck one of these days, and if not, he is a wonderful person to talk to. But Mike is, uh, Mike grew up here in the Monterey um, area, but he, he lived and worked on ranches up in Northern California and Northern Nevada, uh, and he is a total horse person. He actually does horse therapy, and, but he's also an amazing singer-songwriter. 
Uh, and, you know, if you, you, you could just throw out a name of anybody that's written a song in the last 40 years and Michael know the song and be able to sing it <laughs> nice. beautifully. Yeah. He tells stories. I mean, he's, um, he, he's a great guy. And he, he worked with Ian Tyson, their buds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how that song came about. And, and okay. so uh, uh, I, what I do know is that Mike bought a copy of the book uh, and gave it to Ian. Um, and I know they worked together on that on the song back in the days when they, you know, would both see each other at the um, Cowboy Poetry Festival in Elko and um, stuff. So um, they're good friends. And I I got to meet Dirt and know Mike when I first got interested in Joe Mora. That's when our paths first crossed. And um, gents, so it, it's, gents, we are uh, plumb out of time. Ooh. It's been a fa- very fast hour. Peter, thank you very much thank for you. spending uh, an hour with us to uh, talk about your passion on our passion, the West. <laughs> and, you know, just thank you because in the pantheon of iconic Westerners, yeah, Joe yeah, Morrow stands yeah. at their the best. Another well, book. thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to be with you. You bet. Another book comes out. You keep us posted and let us know. We'll be... Hey, we're happy to have you on anytime. Yeah. Don't have to have a book out. Yeah, we know? got stuff. We got, I got tons of things we can be asking pages you about. Pages of information. Here. All right, that's, that's it for this edition. Peter, thank you so much. Peter Hiller, uh, Life and Times of Joe Mora, iconic artist of the American West. There's our guest. Next time we get together, I have no idea what we're doing, but it's going to be fun. I can guarantee we'll that. We'll do it. Whatever All right. it is. So that'll be it. And at 78, 79, 80 Joe Mora. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Fonzink's Voices of the West.